0: You're listening to Bodyful, a podcast that explores the wonder and complexities of living in this human form, and how we can engage in an ongoing practice of bodyfulness to become more fully at home in ourselves and in the interconnected web of Gaia, the living earth. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and I'm the founder of the Gaia Center for Embodied Healing, where we support folks in their growth and healing work with somatic psychotherapy and embodiment practices. We hear all the time about the importance of being mindful, and it's time to invite our bodies to the party. Welcome to Bodyful. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Bodyful. Well, first thing is, yes, it's been a minute since I released an episode, or about a month, And I am committed to getting back on track with the bi weekly schedule, as well as for my other podcast, Vegan and Vibrant. And I'm so excited that I am onboarding an administrative support person later this week who is a friend. And I'm really hoping it will be a good fit because that support will allow me to actually do the things that I want to do and not be trying to hold way too many plates in the air. So, Super jazzed about that. Another big thing that happened since I last published an episode is the Gaia Center moved, and we moved from my one office in a shared suite to our own suite of five offices and a little break room. Um, it's four private offices and a little movement space, and it is beautiful. I can't wait to share more um, pictures, videos, etc. And I'll be having some open house events. Hopefully, fingers crossed with all the COVID stuff going on. Yeah, that's been another thing, right? Like, I know that we were never through the pandemic but obviously things were so much better and it was like oh my gosh things life is going to be sort of normal again and then the delta variant so I have been having a lot of feelings about that as I know probably all of you have as well I tell you what this is a masterclass in uh loving kindness <laughs> and so um that's all I will say about that for now but I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest, Tara Galliano. Tara connected with me after her friend Melissa Walker was our first podcast episode and life is so funny y'all because when I was talking to Melissa on that episode, I was like i don't know anything about sex therapy, which is funny as a certified sex addiction therapist and kind of tells you about the lack of really good um, sexual health education in this sort of CSAT training model. I think it's a good training in a number of ways, especially very trauma-informed, very good sort of behavioral work, but it really lacks a a very strong component of uh, sexual health. And so when my clients have... Historically, have have brought up some of those issues around like desire and um, just reconnecting with sexuality and all the other things that can come up with with sex um, in general or in relationships. It's I've not really known what to do with it, and so that was several months ago. And shortly after that conversation with Melissa, um, several other things happened and I just sort of decided that I was going to dive deep into that world. So I've been studying sex therapy for the past three months and um, digging into books and doing a training program it's actually going to lead toward a clinical sexology doctorate which i feel weird about saying because i know that it is not um anything akin to like a clinical psychology doctorate like a five-year rigorous program it's basically a year of learning and then a year of dissertation or um or doctoral project work. So I'm currently kind of pondering what I'm going to do for that. But it will ultimately also lead to becoming a certified sex therapist with ASECT. And I am super, super excited. It has just been amazing what's come up already in the past three months and um, what I've been able to offer my clients as I've been willing and ready to dive into all of that. So The conversation with Tara was really great timing because I was able to get into some of the topics with her that um, have come up with clients and also just questions that I've had in my own learning. And for instance, she has written a book called Rediscovering My Body and originally wrote it for Um, women with cancer and so we have a a really fascinating um, conversation about that and then she also revised it for just women in general. So let me tell you a little bit more about Tara Um, and I'll just read her a little bio here. Author Tara Galliano has worked with women for over two decades to get their sexy back. She knows there's pleasure in the body beyond our wildest dreams and every woman can access it in the rediscovering my body book tara teaches women how to show up for pleasure in their lives she rediscovered her own body after leaving her 25 year marriage realizing that she'd given so much of herself away she knew that she needed to come back to the body's inherent wisdom through reconnecting with her body tara was able to understand what was right and pleasurable for her how best to proceed from this wisdom and most importantly how to teach these lessons to other women who are clamoring for the same truth so they too could transform their lives and reclaim their sensuality also just a heads up that unfortunately we had some technical issues with the recording not uploading fully so we did talk for about 15 minutes longer than the part of the conversation that you're gonna hear and I gave Tara some options about whether she wanted to record some more or re record. And we decided that we are just going to give you this part of the conversation and maybe bring her back for a future episode. So there's still a lot of goodness in the 30 minute conversation that you're going to hear. So, Enjoy this conversation with Tara Galliano. You can find her online at rediscoveringmybody.com where you can read more about her coaching services that she offers for clients all over the world. And she's also a licensed professional counselor and and a sex certified sex therapist um, and runs Boulder Sex Therapy, even though she is... Now living on the West Coast, she is still licensed in Colorado and working with folks in both locations. Okay, there is some crazy construction noise happening now outside in the parking lot. So I think that's our cue to jump into the conversation with Tara. Enjoy, and I'll see you on the other side. Kara, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me here today. I am so excited to talk with you.
1: Certainly my pleasure, Valerie.
0: This is awesome. Yeah. So we'll start with just kind of dropping in and getting present. And so as always, folks who are listening, feel free to join us if you're able to. If you're driving, keep your eyes open and be safe. Um, But we'll just take a moment to... Bring ourselves more fully present into this space, this moment, this conversation. So just allowing yourself to feel the surface underneath you. Find your feet maybe wiggling your toes. Just let the breath settle into its natural rhythm. And in this space of slowing down and turning inward, just becoming aware of what's here now. In the body, the mind, on the heart, everything welcome. No right or wrong. Just one more big full breath. And here we are. So I always love to ask whatever you are open to sharing what did you notice right now as you turned inward? Hmm.
1: I noticed that I just got back from camping and I'm still wearing my bikini top <laughs> I love it <laughs> oh my god I forgot about that <laughs> <laughs> yes and I feel the back body I feel my neck I feel tension on my right side as it releases and I feel the back of my heart, I would say, and Mm. my traps and my shoulders and my shoulder blades really opening up and expanding and I can feel the tension of the constriction of them being pulled forward and really expanding Mm. and relaxing as I sit back in this seat and take my own seat for this conversation. Mm.
0: Beautiful. Thank you. And even just hearing that, there's always uh, there's always so much just innate wisdom that I hear and what comes up for people. So what I, part of what I heard in that was just noticing where we have agency that we might notice sort of like, oh, when I'm just kind of in default, here's what my shoulders are doing. But when I bring some loving awareness to that, huh, I have a choice to kind of sit back and find a different seat it feels more mm, yeah, expansive. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: That's so true. Yeah.
0: So tell us a little bit about what brought you to doing sex therapy and sexual empowerment coaching. Yeah.
1: Well, I have to say it was not something that I was dreaming about as a little girl. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea. I think some of my dreams at that point were to be an educator. And it's interesting because I did have dreams of words and word usage. And I wanted to teach people vocabulary. And I wanted to teach them how to be more specific with their word choices. So I actually did study to become... Um, an English teacher and I was a literature major as an undergraduate. And then I decided as I began to teach literature to people, I was teaching Beowulf and Macbeth to unconventional students and they were um, getting their high school diplomas in the evening and they were grandmas and students who needed to work full time to pay for their housing needs and for their families, and they were pregnant. Um, So, Mm -hmm. so many different reasons why they weren't in traditional school. And I loved talking with them. And then this Beowulf and Macbeth stuff was getting in the way. And I thought, oh, (laughs) this is so (laughs) much more important to hear about them and their lives. So, I decided I need to study to be a therapist. And so, I was all of 25, 26 years old and decided to go back to school. And went to graduate school at Naropa University and studied as a contemplative psychotherapist and really wanted to know who I am so this way I could be clear about what people were bringing to me. And I felt like that was important for me in my journey. And I graduated from Naropa in 2000. And at that point, I became one of their subsidized counselors because they didn't have an in-house counseling center. And everybody wanted to talk about sex and sexuality, and sexual identity, and relationships. And I had had zero courses on human sexuality (laughs) at Naropa University back then. I'm glad to say that has changed. But at that point, I knew only my personal experience. And the professional experience was, yeah, was, yeah, paucity for me. I didn't have much information to go by in terms of how to do sex therapy. But then I got back in school, and I learned And I became um, a certified sexologist, and then I became a certified sex therapist eventually. So always, always studying to learn more, but really responding to the needs of my clients who I felt were very gracious and courageous to be opening up and speaking to me about sex and sexuality. And that was where I responded and thought, this is awesome. I'm so... Happy to be talking about these taboo subjects or these subjects that oftentimes people don't have words for. So, I do mm-hmm. see that my childhood dream has come true as I am an educator and I am speaking to people about things that they don't have words for. And I'm helping them create a vocabulary that works for them and create some confidence and certainly some fluency so they can begin to ask for what it is that they want.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. I- I feel similarly, as far as um, I was telling you before we started recording about the direction that I'm taking in my sort of clinical learning right now. And it just, yeah, so many times, I would have clients who that wasn't necessarily what they were coming to me for, but it would come up in the course of our work, um their challenges with sex and sexuality, and wanting to feel more fulfilled in that and just feeling completely lost with it. and, you know, like you said, a traditional, um, counseling or social work or whatever kind of education that's largely left out of the conversation. Um, and as you said, you know, many programs are improving with that, but even still, um, more traditional schools than Naropa are probably quite lagging in that department. So I just felt like I didn't you know, like, oh, well, let me just, I just have to refer them out to one of the five sex therapists in town because I don't know how to help you. So really leaning into that, the additional learning and, and per- personal life experience that's required to be able to support people in that. And it is so, such a, a really, um, precious thing to, to be entrusted with that, with, with, these topics that, you know, people so rarely discuss with others in their life. And hopefully we're a part of changing that. Yes, it's a true thing. I see that. Yeah. Yeah. So your as far as your particular interests or what you really love supporting people with when it comes to sexuality, tell us a little bit about that or how that meandering path has looked throughout your career since you started focusing on that?
1: Yeah, I love that. That's a great question. So in the beginning, it really was working with young, younger. I was younger, everybody seemed younger. And so there were people who were really burgeoning in their sexuality and beginning relationships. And so they were at a developmental stage where they were exploring their sexual identity. And so they were in their early 20s. Sometimes they were teenagers, Not usually not quite that young, but Naropa students can be of varying ages. And so That's who I began with. And so it was more of a generalist in that field of helping people discover what was true for them as they were developing their, really their, their identity and certainly their sexual identity. And then from there, working more clearly with women and, and men truly who were on a journey with cancer. And so uh, testicular cancer, a little bit, but mostly prostate cancer. um, And for women, breast cancer, um, all, excuse me bless you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So all different types of cancer um, that women struggled with. And then through that process, developing a class for Boulder Community Health, because women really wanted to know about their own functionality. And when men came in with prostate cancer, most doctors were addressing their sexual functionality, and how it might be impacted by the cancer, and cancer treatment, and yeah, subsequent medical issues. However, with women, that was not the case. And they often had questions about who do I ask my questions to? And so a nurse navigator who was prim- primarily working with women who had breast cancer began to see this need and made contact with a colleague of mine in Boulder who then said, you really need to speak with Tara because I work with groups. I really like working with groups of people. I think that there's a change that is exponentially more potent that happens within a group setting. And we're all not ready for group when we're, you know, when we're starting the um, therapeutic process. Sometimes we need mm-hmm. to start with individual therapy. But there's really a potent power that's happens within a group setting. And so I like that. And so knowing that, my friend referred me to uh, the nurse navigator at BCH. And from there, I started speaking at her classes. And she held a support group every week. And they had a lot of questions. And I had a lot of answers for them about what was normal, about what they could expect, about how some of the medications might impact them, and just about sexuality in general. Because it wasn't just because they had cancer that they had the information that it was probably prior to having cancer that they had questions that weren't being answered. And so I answered those. And then we realized that there was a need here. And so from that, I developed a class called Rediscovering My Body. And that was a very popular class. And we offered it in six weeks. And then it became a month because of scheduling. We really wanted to make sure that women were able to show up because Women were very on very different paths with their diagnosis. Sometimes they were just being diagnosed; other times they had been um, treated, and it had been eleven years out from their original cancer diagnosis. And, and yeah, ultimately to um, a, a stage where they were stable. And so it was yeah many varying degrees, many different ages. Um, I would say relation stat relationship statuses, and also. Um, yeah, gender. I mean, not so much gender, mm-hmm. but uh, sexual preferences, who, who they were sleeping with, who they wanted to make. Yeah, orientation. And so because of that, uh, the class really in a group setting became such a wonderful vehicle for women to not only get the information that they needed, but to also build relationships with each other. So they had this great sense of camaraderie, of sisterhood, where they could depend on each other and really see what was working for one person and what they could do for themselves to reach for that. Mm. Um, so that's, yeah, so that was some some of the groups that I work with. And I continue to work with women because I love I love the transformation. And I know that when that happens for women in particular, that societies are really beginning to change as well. Um, mm-hmm. That that's really the, the pivotal point is that when women are really claiming their desire, speaking it, owning it, and living into it in a much more full embodied way, that there really starts to happen some transformation within their own families, within their own um, influence, uh, their spheres of influence, and within their own
0: cultures mm-hmm. and communities. Absolutely. And I know that you know working with that population of folks who are um, who are healing from cancer is not your necessarily primary or or only um, population that you work with, but I I think it's so uh, important, so fascinating. Like, and it's one of those things that is probably a a kind of a duh for either sex therapists or folks who have had cancer or professionally work with cancer. But as someone who had not really done much of either of those things, I, you know, it was like, oh, when I had a class with uh, Dr. Ann Katz recently, who really specializes in this. Um, yeah, it was like all this like, wow. Yeah, of course, these these illnesses are going to take a massive toll. You know, we think of how it affects people's overall Health, um, physically speaking, and even maybe mental health, um, and and their ability to 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 work and do different things with their bodies. But what about how it affects their sexuality? It's certainly not part of the mainstream discourse, but it's so important because it is really re- rediscovering like what does sexuality look like in my body that has been through this this very painful and horrific thing, and often that has left the body permanently changed in some way. Um, So so then you took your Rediscovering My Body class and created a book from that. Tell us a little bit about the book and what your intention was with that and how the book has evolved.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's been really quite the journey. I've always wanted to write a book, having been a literature major, and the book that I wrote, and I'll just pop in a picture of it, is this. And what I loved about this, and what I wanted to create, was something beautiful. So I hired an illustrator who did all of these amazing illustrations for the book, and she did a, you know, a real heart, um, and really did. Got a tremendous job because I wanted women to have something beautiful that they could write within, and it is a guidebook. It's you know there's content in it, but it really is an opportunity for women to begin to collect their own data about themselves, and maybe stop referencing outside of themselves a little bit and bring that attention in towards themselves and collect the data points of what is true for them at this time and place, and so. This work began, Rediscover My Body began with the work that I was doing with women with cancer. And then women were saying, this is a steep prerequisite, and I have this experience, I just had a baby. Or I had Mm -hmm. this experience, I just went through a divorce. Or I had this experience, and I just broke up with a lover. Or I just went through menopause. Or I just had some life-changing experience, and I need to know what is true for me through the process of rediscovering my own body. And I want to set that in motion. And so this book then, well, it was written for women who'd had cancer. And I had, goodness, written it now over four years ago. And it was dormant. And I went through my own process of rediscovering my body as I went through a divorce of um, after 25 years of being married, married. And really feeling into, oh, this is what my journey is. And as I deepened into that process, I recognized during the pandemic in June that I would written a book. And I was like, I would written a book and I'd gotten <laughs> it edited. And oh my goodness, what do I need to do to repurpose this material? And so I edited it again. So it was applicable to all women. And then in November of last year, I self-published it because I really wanted it to be this beautiful book and now it's available on Amazon, and I use it in the work that I do with women, and it's really a great and valuable tool. And I love that it's not this erudite academic book, but it's very accessible, and that was my intention. I want to make it available to all women of many different ages, and that that's an access point for them to begin again to catalog what is true for them in the moment And date it and do the exercises and then come back to it again and do it again and date it and see the progress, see the changes, notice what was true for them then and notice what is true for them now because we are dynamic beings. We're not static. Stagnancy is death and that we're meant to evolve and change. And so through that process, they have this opportunity to document and look at some of the things that have been true for them, that they've survived, that they've gained skill and competency in, and that's that's I love that's what I love. I mean, this is a work that I'm
0: here to do. Mm-hmm. I, I can think of at least three clients who, in my next session, I'm going to say, "Please go get this book, <laughs> get this book, <laughs> well, start working through it. Let's talk about it. What comes up." I love that you chose that style because I think there are so many wonderful books that are more, you know, fully content heavy, um, whether it's sharing some research, um, hopefully in very accessible and engaging ways, like Emily Nagoski's work or sharing different ideas, interventions, like in, in Melissa Walker's book. But there's, only, there's just only so many books like that that we can assign our clients or to read or that, that f- folks are going to be, have the time to read. So having something that's got enough content to guide them but is really focused on the experience and the application of these ideas and the self-inquiry and exploration, Um, that that's where investing the time in that and not just like reading a bajillion more ideas and then they go in one ear and out the other. So I love that it's interactive and that it's something they can continue to come back to over and over again. That was really important to me and also making it beautiful. So Mm -hmm.
1: I, for my own edition that I published that I gave out to friends and family, it was about picking the right paper with the right texture. So the print bleeded into the page at the right uh, way. I mean, it was really, it was a sensual experience, which is what I want the women to have when they're reading and interacting with the book. So it was that in the creation of it. And I really had that in the Concept of the book, and I'm so happy that it came out
0: the way that it did. I think it was, yeah, it was perfectly executed for this time. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you mentioned a minute ago, um, and the ending of a long term marriage, and it's even reading a little bit on your website, it sounds like that that was a part of your continued, um, sexual kind of evolution and, and really claiming your sexuality. Um, so I'm just so curious because I think that there are people out there and let's just say, you know, we're talking largely about, um, folks who identify as women right now. So let's say if there are women out there who are not feeling fulfilled in their committed relationship, um, it's, I feel like so hard to, for people to know, like okay does this mean that because i'm not having not feeling sexually fulfilled in this and this is like the one place in my life that if i'm in a monogamous relationship that i can get that need met does that mean that i'm with the wrong person um or does it mean that <clears throat> maybe there's hope for us to quote fix this um and i know there's obviously it's completely case by case but i wonder if that's an issue that's come up for you in your work Um, with folks. And as someone who maybe had the experience of, at least at this point in your life, part of the answer was not being in the relationship anymore. Um, Just kind of what can you say to women who might be in that phase of, um, is the problem, am I not sexually fulfilled because this isn't the, the person for me? Or is it possible that we can make this better?
1: Yes. And that's, that's a great question. And obviously uh, it is case by case. And I think that there's some guiding principles that I use to address this issue as it comes up again and again. And certainly what I discovered in my own path, I mean, it's an absolutely fascinating process. Um, to be working with because I am trained as a sex therapist. And just to reference my former relationship with my husband, my former husband, was that he struggled with sex addiction. So I like to think we were missing each other like that, but really, really, we were hitting each other on like that. We were so right on, made for each other because absolutely everything that he was doing was triggering everything in me. And what I've come to recognize now is that, um, obviously, he was engaged in behaviors that weren't supportive of our relationship. And maybe that's not so obvious, but that's what I came to discover. And then there was what I was doing, which is ultimately the only thing that I could change. Um, I was ignoring my own needs and I made a vow to my husband in terms of marriage and doing whatever it took to meet that vow. And so in my mind, maybe working 150% to meet this marriage or to meet this relationship so it could be successful because I was not willing to give up on this idea because of the vows that I took of this relationship. And then ignoring my own desires, ignoring my own evolution truly, because now that I've been released from this, what I recognize is that I was not able to, and nor was I willing to, nor did I claim my own desire in the relationship. And so maybe it was the person, and that's easy. You know, blame, I would say, but ultimately it didn't give me the opportunity to take responsibility for what is true for me. And I Mm. find that that's true for so many of us as women is that we need to cultivate our own sense of agency, our own sense of sexual sovereignty, so we know what is true for us. And that is to begin to take risks to ask for the things that we need that bring us pleasure. And oftentimes what I find is that women don't know, so they need to have that exploration where they begin to know what is true for them and know that that may change over time, but it is a starting point. And oftentimes women don't even have that starting point. They're referencing outside of themselves and asking their partner, like, so fulfill me or so give me an orgasm. So, whatever it is that we're requesting from them that we've not owned for ourselves, and that that is our responsibility. And that was the fallacy that I lived with under that I did not know. That, that was my responsibility to really claim that for myself and once I began to see how it was manifesting in other areas of my life because these problems don't get fixed you get a divorce you think it's fixed and that's not true <laughs> they emerge in other areas of the life and so when I saw that I thought oh yes this is me again creating these problems because I need to resolve it and and I will just say it really for me was about the voice it was about the expression that I was denying myself of what it is that I truly desire. How do I speak what it is that I desire and make a request of somebody and not a demand, not a manipulation, not a coercion because I didn't Mm. learn how to ask in an invitational way where I'm saying, this is what I'd like. And then the other person who I'm asking can say yes or no. And they can say that doesn't work for me. And then we need to make other agreements or then we mean a I mean, we may need to dissolve the relationship. I mean, there are so many risks involved with really asking for what it is that we want. And when we add on top of that the overlay of religion, of monogamy, of heterosexism, or of whatever it is that we're living into that obstructs the pathway for us to really speak our desire, then it gets really difficult. And my job... Right. I feel like I'm an agitator and I'm stirring the pot as a sexual (laughs) empowerment coach is to really help people understand that those are blockages that they need to take responsibility for and work with. And that when they know their true desire and begin to ask for them in a meaningful way that is kind and gentle with themselves first and then with another, that they may be rejected And that's huge. And it's like living life on the edge. And that's oftentimes where I feel like we're afraid to go because we're comfortable. I had a comfortable life. We had a couple of businesses. We owned a couple of houses. It's like a comfortable financial life and all of those things. And trading all of that in for the unknown is scary stuff. And do we need to do it at that level? Well, no, but we need to begin to do it on a level that is still going to be uncomfortable because that's mm-hmm. what happens when we begin to ask for things that we desire it's a little bit risky and that's just the way that it
0: is right and especially with sex like you said all of the kind of cultural baggage around it the internalized shame whether you were overtly you know brought up in like a very um a very sexually shaming household or religion or not and you just kind of soaked it in from the culture um it's the thought of, you know, it's it's vulnerable enough to tell someone this is how I'm feeling and I'm feeling, you know, anxious about this or whatever, but to say, like this, I think that I might be interested in trying this. I think that I might feel like this would feel good. It's really vulnerable. So it is a risk. And, you know, I think once people experience it, if there is a, a foundation of m- emotional safety and trust to some extent. That, you know, you can you can get through that vulnerability. I will tell you it, it is possible, but it's not easy and it's worth it, like most things that are hard. So, um, yeah, but, but to kind of uh, quote Emily Nagoski again, it's like she talks about, you know, with everyone being almost obsessed with, oh, my gosh, why don't I have any desire? Why don't I have any desire? It's like, is the party worth showing up to? Like, if the party is not very good, like, why would you go? So if you don't know how to tell your partner, hey, I'm not loving this. Can we try this, this, or this? No wonder you don't want to go to the party. (laughs) All right, guys, that's where we actually lost Tara's audio, unfortunately. So we'll just leave the rest as a mystery for next time. Thank you again for your grace on this one. And I'll see you again soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you feel moved to share it with someone you think would love it, that would mean so much to me. For show notes, head over to GaiaCenter.co, and follow us on Instagram at the Gaia Center and at Val K Martin V A L K A Y Martin. And if you're into animal stuff and delicious vegan food, be sure to check out my other podcast, Vegan and Vibrant. See you next time.